Green Teacher's main office is located on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga peoples. This territory is covered by the Williams Treaty. But for me, when I was thinking about how you define a forest, it could be everything from a small stick that's outside your door to a large-scale forest. Why do they matter is such an important part, and that really challenges people to think about the benefits we receive, but also the benefits they provide. And so it's biodiversity, habitat, it's climate change mitigation. Our education system has such an important role to play in creating sustainable communities and creating that conservation mindset, because that's where students and that's where young people spend the majority of their time. Testing, testing. Hey, I'm Ian. And I'm Sophia. And welcome to Talking with Green Teachers. This is the Environmental Education Podcast, where we discuss recent developments, big ideas, and creative approaches to teaching green. In this episode... One of the things that we try to do with the Forest Literacy Framework is meet people at the age that they are. And, you know, you're not going to go into a kindergarten to grade two class and talk about sustainable forest management. That's just not what is going to resonate with them. And so going in and talking about what is a forest? Oh, it's made of trees. You found animals in there. That's what's age relevant for that group. And so the Forest Literacy Framework really tries to set the foundation of what are people learning at that age and how do you connect to truly talk about and so we talk There's a good chance that this tree is over a century old. For as long as anyone in the area can remember, this formidable specimen has always been here in this low, wet part of the forest. Jess Kaknevicius has spent much of her time in forests, both personally and professionally. When we recorded this discussion, she was just completing a term as Vice President of Education at the Sustainable Forestry Initiative, overseeing Project Learning Tree. She joined Ian to discuss our responsibility to forests, developing a conservation mindset, and the differences between preservation and conservation. In your article in our Spring 2023 issue of Green Teacher Magazine, you begin with the question, what is our responsibility to forests? So there's a lot to potentially unpack there, so let's dig into it. Awesome. So it's interesting because Often we think of ourselves as being separate from the environment, or we think of ourselves as being not necessarily embedded in the natural world, but we are. We inevitably are. We use the natural world, whether it's for hiking, whether it's for products, whether it's to make us feel better. And so in some ways, when we think about our connection to the forest and our responsibility to it, we have to think about how we actually fit in with the forest and, and what our role is in terms of taking care of the forest or thinking about how our impacts impact the forest, but then also thinking about the benefits we receive from the forest or the natural world. And so when I think about what our responsibility is, our responsibility is really to ensure that there's a healthy forest for generations to come. And that includes being a part of that forest 
and getting all the benefits from the forest, but really thinking about our our contributions and our impacts to it. Yeah, and I think a lot of our listeners are probably quite aware of many of the benefits of forests, but you've been doing this work, you've been with PLT for five years. What have you found are maybe some of the under-the-radar benefits that maybe the average person doesn't recognize or doesn't think about? Yeah, and I would say I think one that's becoming more relevant is the benefit it has to our own health. And so whether that's mental or physical health, I know for myself, just getting outside for a walk, whether it's in a forest or my local community, makes me feel less stressed, makes me feel happier, gives me a bit more energy. And I know that those results also can show up in in health impacts. And so whether that's, you know, reduced diabetes or reduced or increased heart health. And so when we think about the benefits we receive, health and mental health is probably one of the top ones. But I think some of the other under the radar ones are actually some of the products that we can get from the forest. And so whether that's, you know, a non-timber forest products like blueberries or mushrooms, or whether it's a timber forest product like the wood for your home or the wood for your furniture, there's a lot of things that we actually use on our everyday basis that come from the forest. And sometimes those are overlooked. Or when we think about, you know, that question around what's our responsibility, again, we think about, well, we want to ensure those products or those benefits are are there for generations to come. So what do we have to do to ensure that? And often that means thinking about our impact and long-term impact and daily impact that we have on the forest to ensure that we're receiving those benefits and products for decades and generations. And so, yeah, there's a lot of really amazing things and amazing connections we have with our forest. And I'm sure if you're sitting there, you're thinking, I can think of uh, tons of things on the list that are the obvious ones like shade and clean air and biodiversity habitat, but definitely health and products are always top of mind for me. Yeah, and I know in the article you also go through some of the global statistics about forest cover and so on. Can you just sort of briefly walk us through those just so people can get a bit of a bigger picture beyond maybe the local forest in their own community? So when I think about the role of forests or how forests really are a big part of our world, Canada alone has over 10% of the world's forests. And so that's a big chunk of forest cover for just one country. We also historically have one of the lowest deforestation rates over the past few decades around the world. And when we think about deforestation, it's a lot to unpack, but I often try to think of it as, you know, the loss of forest cover. And so it's usually a conversion to something else. So that could be everything from a parking lot to agriculture. But really, our forests in Canada are in such good hands or are at least in a system in which you can have a big role. And so, you know, I think when I think about our everyday choices or everyday actions, one of the things that always comes to mind is people not realizing that they can have a big role to play in how we manage our forests in Canada or how we use our forests because they're so dominantly owned by the public that you have an opportunity to contribute to the decisions that are being made in the landscape or at least understanding what's happening in your own backyard or in your own province. And so globally, Canada's forests have such a huge role to play in, you know, mitigating climate change and providing biodiversity habitat and continually providing those products that I mentioned. When If we, if we care for the forests in a good way and we manage them sustainably, then those things can be available in centuries. And what can the average person do to sort of be part of that process to ensure that 
that is sustained hereafter. Yeah, so that people might not even realize that they that there's opportunities for them to participate at a local level. And so much of the forest in Canada is publicly owned. And so what that means is that the government is actually responsible for managing the forest. And sustainable forest management means that people can actually contribute to or listen in to what's happening on that landscape. So where there is publicly owned forest, whether that's provincial or federal, federal less so, you have an opportunity. You can show up at a local citizens committee if you want and listen to what's being done on the landscape. You can ask for forest management plans for forests within your area and take a look at how it's actually being managed and the decisions that are being made. You can you can be a part of that discussion simply because it is available for the public. And so a big part of that is A, learning about what's happening, B, actually being a decision maker with your voting power. And so contributing to policies or contributing to discussions around what's happening in the landscape or why are, why are there changes being made. And so a big part of it is actually using your own power to help make those decisions. And then lastly, for me, is informing yourself. And so, you know, when we partnered with Green Teacher on this forest-focused issue, it's really helping people to understand the role of forest and the benefits and how it's managed and and the contributions that you can make. And if we have a stronger forest literate society, then there's a better understanding of, you know, we all can benefit from the forest, but it takes so much time to be able to build that foundational knowledge. And when we think about forest literacy, it's really, if we all had a basic knowledge by the time we graduated grade 12, we'd have decision makers that were also informed. And so you can think about those that are writing policies or those that are in government making decisions. If they were more forest literate, we'd be seeing stronger policies on some things or different policies on other things, just emphasizing the fact that they understand the role that forests play and they understand the the role that management can play. And so overarching goal is to really create a society in which people are just more forest literate because they want to engage and learn about the forest and therefore take that knowledge and make better decisions moving forward. And this applies, I think, also to other jurisdictions. Obviously, different policies, different priorities, ownership of forested lands may be different, but I think the basic principles that you've outlined are very much transferable across the globe. Definitely. And really what it comes down to is if you have more knowledge and you have more interest, then you're able to contribute more and make better decisions. And then for me, my goal for a lot of my life has just been to have conversations around forests and around sustainable forestry and really unpacking the challenges that people have in understanding it or trying to make it accessible to them. Because we can all have judgments or we can all have perspectives based on limited information that we have. And so the more we're informed, the better that we can come to agreements on things or try to come to a natural place where we understand what we're trying to do with our relationship with our forests or our natural world and understand that, you know, as a society, we are, we are in the environment now. You can't really disconnect it and it actually harms it more to disconnect it because you have to realize there is a relationship there that's, that's inherent. And so even if you protect and put a fence around a forest, there's still impacts that you have in your everyday life that may impact that forest, whether that be moving firewood because of an invasive species, whether that be preventing forest fires from going through a landscape because of a cottage that you own, whether that be using non-forest products like plastics and how that could impact, you know, you force or impact alternative product uses. And so it's really understanding that we do have that connection, whether you think it or not, or whether there's not a tree outside your backyard or not, there inevitably 
is impacting the daily choices that you make. Yes, that connection is always there. Yes. Talking with Green Teachers is produced by Green Teacher, a registered charity in Canada that has been enhancing environmental education since 1986. By taking out a subscription, you can join our global network of passionate environmental educators, receive each issue of our quarterly magazine, and gain exclusive access to our vast archive of webinars and magazine back issues. All proceeds go back into the organization to support our vision of helping each successive generation of young learners become more environmentally literate than the last. To learn more, visit greenteacher.com. Part of what makes this tree so memorable is that it seems to have legs. That is, there's plenty of space between the ground and the bases of its claw-like roots. For people who maybe don't have forests at the fore of their mind, I mean, for you and me, we're thinking about this all the time, we're actively going into forests, but maybe you live in an Arctic or subarctic area where there are very few trees, maybe no trees. Maybe you live in a heavily built urban area with maybe just a handful of trees, but not an urban forest necessarily within walking distance. Maybe you're in a new subdivision that doesn't have any trees. Maybe it's been converted from an agricultural field. For folks that don't have forests top of mind, how can educators guide them in making those personal connections? Yeah, and it's interesting. I remember I was working on something a couple of years ago where I was trying to help define what a forest was. <laughs> and it's typically we think of a forest as this massive landscape with tons of trees and yeah. understory. And, and sometimes that can feel far away for some people. And that far away in some ways disconnects them from understanding or, or supporting or connecting with forests. But for me, when I was thinking about how you define a forest, it could be everything from a small stick that's outside your door to a large scale forest. I think it's what you make of it. And by approaching it like that, you also open up the opportunity for it to be more inclusive so that if you have limitations in your own environment, you could think of it like, well, maybe this is my forest, or maybe you draw a forest, or maybe you create something out of paper that represents a forest. And what you're doing is opening up the idea that you can think about how am I connected, or you can think about the benefits you receive. It just puts you into a different mindset. The other thing is even just getting outside, you're still receiving benefits from forests around the world. Like they're mitigating climate, they're contributing to clean water, they're helping with clean air. And so getting outside and just seeing what's around you and thinking about the connection to trees or thinking about the connection to forests is so critical for developing that conservation ethic long term. And so a lot of the PLT activities that we have allow you to adapt to the communities in which you live because it's so important for it to be locally relevant. You risk really alienating communities or not being inclusive to certain communities because you feel like you have to have this gorgeous, perfect forest landscape when in reality it might just be a leaf that you find on the ground that happens to be blowing by. And so I think it's really up to educators and up to communities to create that connection with what they have in their own communities with a goal of, you know, maybe there is an opportunity to create more forests in your community, but it shouldn't be a limitation to, to how you're learning and connecting with it on an everyday basis. So it sounds like 
kind of broadening the definition of forests to not necessarily just what maybe someone who does land classification ecologically defines as a forest, but looking at the building blocks of forests and which ones are within your general area. Does that sort of encapsulate what you're describing? Yeah, and like thinking about the possibilities of what a bigger forest could be and the benefits you might get. But really, mm-hmm. you know, what we're trying to really do is even create the possibility that a connection could happen in their own community. And you can bring forests indoors too. I oh, mean, yeah. if you're if you don't really don't have anything, you can have seeds brought in. And seed exploration is amazing when you think about all the different ways that seeds travel or hitchhike onto things. It's such an important part of forest. I mean forest wouldn't grow without seeds. You don't <laughs> need forests around you. <laughs> yeah. For, you don't need forests around you in order to do anything in the classroom of seeds, but it still brings that conversation of trees and forests into the classroom. And we have some activities that focus on art where you're building your own tree and you're you're talking about what do, what do leaves do and what do roots do. And that doesn't require you to have a forest outside. You can do that indoors and you still build that understanding of what you can receive from forests or what your impact on forests are. Yeah, I mean, you could do it on the moon, if, I guess, if you had a yes. movable atmosphere. But anyways, that's a whole other thing. Well, actually, they just took a tree to the moon. Really? The, the U.S. Forest Service. Yeah, they just sent a tree to the moon. So you can take a tree to the moon. <laughs> wow, I didn't even know that. That was a very natural and honest interlude. And you made me just look like a genius, completely accidentally. You can look it up. It's called Moon Trees. <laughs> moon Trees. I will definitely, we'll include a link in the show notes. There you go. Very exciting. Well, in PLT's forest literacy framework, you've got numerous activities that are sort of underlain by guiding questions that help people connect the dots between forests and humans so that can help make those connections. What are some of the guiding, I know there's a lot, but what are some of the guiding questions that listeners might be able to use as a starting point for maybe their next lesson? Yeah, and I think we kind of covered one of them, which is what is a forest? Yeah, <laughs> the low-hanging fruit nature pun. Yeah, and if you know, if you really have that conversation in the classroom or do exploration, you really start to understand what is a forest. And I think one of the things that we try to do with the forest literacy framework is meet people at the age that they are. And you know, you're not going to go into a kindergarten to grade two class and talk about sustainable forest management. That's just not what is going to resonate with them. And so going in and talking about what is a forest, oh, it's made of trees, you found animals in there, that's what's age relevant for that group. And so the forest literacy framework really tries to set the foundation of what are people learning at that age and how do you connect to to really talk about forests. And so we talk about what is a forest. Uh, We talk about what are some of the benefits we receive from forests? What is our responsibility to forests? And then also really, why do they matter? We talked to about a couple benefits already or you know what we're really trying to connect with forests on but why do they matter is such an important part and that really challenges people to think about the benefits we receive but also the benefits they provide and so it's biodiversity habitat it's climate change mitigation it's products it's it's opportunities for careers and sometimes people don't think about that 
career connection. And if someone is inspired or interested in learning more about forests, they could potentially explore a green career. And when we talk about green careers, we don't necessarily mean you have to go and be a forester, and you can, but you can also go work in an environmental field or a sustainability sector and be an accountant because you grew up loving forests and understanding the environmental benefits you and you want to contribute to a greater world and therefore you use your amazing mathematical abilities and go work at a company to be able to contribute to that greater good and so really challenging people to think about you know a green job as being all-encompassing of something that really is in the sustainability sector green job sector so those are just some of the things and when we think about why forests matter they really matter for people on a daily basis and so the forest literacy framework really challenges us to think about all the benefits with the goal of by the time you're graduating grade 12, you just have a foundational knowledge of forests and why they're so awesome and what we can do for them. And you take that forward into any of your future careers, or you take that forward into your future conversations, or even in your future life planning and apply those principles across everything that you do on an everyday basis. And again, it's about building that foundational knowledge around forests. The foundation, or for another nature pun, the roots. Yes, exactly terrible terrible fun (laughs) thank you for bearing with me on that though hey it's ian you might already know about our book teaching about invasive species for those who don't it's a collection of perspectives programs and hands-on activities geared toward outdoor and environmental educators visit greenteacher.com to order your copy the color of the bark also catches people's attention to some it's grayish to others yellow To others still, silver. In reality, it's somehow all of these colors at once. So we've covered our responsibility to forests, making personal connections. How do we take the next step to fostering a conservation mindset? Because that's ever critical. Lots of pressures on forests in different parts of the world. Conservation is important. You need the knowledge about forests to get there. But how do we take that next step? Yeah, when I think of the word conservation, I remember... A couple of years ago, someone had said to me, the difference between preservation and conservation is that conservation people are in the landscape. And I think that that is what is so important about how we grow as a society is understanding that connection between us and the natural world and understanding that our personal daily choices have an impact on the environment, have an impact on how we use natural resources. And so when I think about fostering that conservation mindset, I think about actually making time for those conversations in the classroom and in communities. And that really means you might need help with resources, or you might need help with how to implement activities in the classroom, but challenging young people to think about their daily choices or challenging young people to think about their connection to nature inevitably builds that long-term conservation mindset for what are the choices I can make? What are the careers that I can find that help to contribute to a more sustainable world? And so a lot of the PLT activities that we have challenge people to really think that way, but also develop the skills that are needed to be successful. And so some of the activities that we have really challenge young people to think about their own student voice. And so it might be developing a poster about something that's critical for them in their community. It might be about 
bringing their teammates together, their student groups together to talk about different perspectives of sustainable forest management. And I think developing those really important skills lead to those future careers where people are, you know, representing important stakeholders in decision-making or are, are writing articles about sustainable forest management is building that foundational knowledge. And so I think it starts in the classroom. I think that inevitably our education system has such an important role to play in creating sustainable communities and creating that conservation mindset because that's where students and that's where young people spend the majority of their time. And so what a great opportunity for them to explore that in the classroom. And then what a great opportunity for them to go home and talk about it with their families and talk about, you know, here's what I learned about our forest today. Here's what I learned about sustainability. Here's what I learned about something that I can do in my own community to make a difference. And we found that you know, having something around student action also leads to that long-term conservation mindset. Them being able to have action-oriented projects or doing something in their own community helps for it to resonate stronger in their own minds. And is there any messaging that's either especially helpful or even especially unhelpful when talking about forest action? Because that can be a bit of a tricky tightrope to walk because on one hand, you're teaching people how to think as opposed to what to think. Mm -hmm. And the end goal isn't just to create advocates, but at the same time, preserving forests is so beneficial to us. It's part of the world outside the classroom. We must teach about it. How do we kind of find that sweet spot between focusing on action without getting into too much of the advocacy side? Yeah, I think it's about building more well-rounded conversations. And so I love having conversations around, you know, preservation versus conservation versus use, because I think it's an important way for us to really dive into self-reflection on, as a society, how are we approaching our everyday lives? And, you know, we, we inevitably use products from the natural world. And so whether that's building your home, whether that's driving your car, like there's things that we draw on from the natural world. But if we can think about, well, what are some of the better choices that we can make? Having a conversation around that allows you to think about how we connect with forests a bit different. And I always think of forestry as a really interesting opportunity for us to go, okay, well, let's say we were going to build a house. What do we think is the best material? Well, wood maybe because it actually grows back versus, let's say, metal or concrete. Okay, well, if we were going to use wood, then how would you want it to be managed? Well, I want to make sure that animals are cared for. I want to make sure that Indigenous perspectives are considered when we're managing our forests. I definitely want to make sure that we're replanting anything that we cut. I want to make sure that we're thinking about the water and, and the impact that it could have on fish. And when you start to approach it that way and start to have conversations around, well, if you were going to use something, how would you do it? You start to think about, well, maybe we are doing some of these things. And what I find really interesting about forests is that what we did today is not the same as what we did 20 years ago and will not be the same as what we do 20 years from now. And that's the beauty of adaptation is that we learn, we get better, we improve, and, and we continue to learn and invest in that growth. And so for me, it's, it's approaching it to say, well, how would you do it? Maybe we could do it better. Finding common ground and having a conversation about, okay, well, that now, now what can you do as a citizen? You know, what can you do with your voting power? What can you do? Get into a green career. You really want to make a difference? Did you know that you could probably go be a forester and apply all these amazing 
passions that you have for for sustainability in the actual landscape. And so understanding that you can choose a career in which you really create that that change is what I would love more conversations in the classroom to look like. So what what can we do about it? What can you about, do about it long term? Definitely some very exciting possibilities there. Hi there. You might recognize my voice from such podcasts as the one you're listening to right now. Speaking of podcasts, Green Teacher is involved in another one. It's called Earthy Chats, and you know what? How about I let my co-host, Jade Harvey Barrel, tell you the rest? Take it away, Jade. Thanks, Ian. Hello, all. Indeed, we'd love for you to join us for Earthy Chats, our new podcast where we've come together to spend time picking the brains of the brightest and best in environmental education. Like busy bees, we'll be cross-pollinating ideas across our range of interests and knowledge bases to give you the inside scoop on what's new, who's doing it, and how you can do it too. All of the experts featured on the show have resources available Canada-wide in the Outdoor Learning Store. That's Canada's non-profit outdoor resource store. You can check out the range of educator and student resources available at www.outdoorlearningstore.com. So, whether you're a teacher, educator, parent, or just a general nature geek, there'll be something for you to sink your teeth into. Did I cover everything there, Ian? Definitely. Thanks, Jade. So yeah, Earthy Chats. Check it out on your favorite podcast app. It's not just the color of the bark that catches the eye. It's also how the bark curls up, giving it a flaky, ragged appearance. So a fun question before we wrap up. A lot of people talk about spirit animals, but do you have a spirit tree? And I'll expand this to really any woody plant. So it could be a shrub, (laughs) it could be a woody vine. Do you have a spirit woody plant? That sounds a bit strange, but anyways, what have you got? I definitely do. And, you know, I always say, if people ask me what my favorite tree is, mine is a yellow birch. I think they are beautiful. They have a wonderful gold-colored bark. They're not found in large quantities, so in some ways they're unique. And a yellow birch requires disturbance for it to grow. And for me, it's like, you know, creating change allows people to grow. And yellow birch seeds need disturbance for their seeds to actually grow and when they do they actually if you ever go in the forest you'll see these yellow birches where it almost looks like there's a tunnel underneath it because they grew on top of a log because that was the disturbance and then the log decayed and now they're just kind of hanging out in the air with their legs wide open and for me it was always this really unique tree that really faced a lot of adversity and needed a little bit of push to grow, but then it thrived and became this really unique creature in the forest. And so that's definitely my spirit tree. And then I love the smell of the twigs because they smell like peppermint. And so you can, you can use it to freshen your breath if you really wanted to, but it's just a beautiful tree and it's very unique. Yep. Love the yellow birch. And I've always remembered yellow birch because one of the first ones I was introduced to when I was learning about them, it was growing on a nursing log, just as you've described. And the person who was pointing it out said, look, it is a perched birch. Yeah, they're great trees and I'm very, very fond of them. So what else is happening in the PLT realm these days? Yeah, so we are excited because for those who may not know, we've been working on the U.S. side of 
things for about 40 years, over 40 years, and we've just been starting to grow some of our education work in Canada. And so we're excited to start bringing some of the award-winning resources to Canada and start to deliver some professional development for educators to be able to implement and use these activities. And so with the ultimate goal of really trying to create a more forest literate society, we're also trying to create the tools and resources that educators need to bring those conversations into the classroom. And so we're really excited about some of the resources and some of the forest literacy training that we're developing. And all of that's connecting to our work in career pathways. And so I talk a lot about inspiring young people to consider green career because even for myself I did not know that green careers were possible growing up and you know maybe if I had known earlier who knows where my career would have gone but having those conversations in the classroom is so important so we we have resources and supports to do that in the classroom and then provide uh, work experiences and mentorship to be able to grow that green career pathway so yeah so I would say for us check out our PLT resources and educator resources as we're bringing them to Canada. And for those in the U.S., they're available. And to check them out on plt.org. Excellent. And we will include a link to that as well in the show notes. Perfect. Final thoughts? I think for me, like my final thought is really around thinking about your own connection to the forest. As I just said, like, I didn't think I was going to become someone who worked in a forest. It took me two seasons of tree planting for me to finally understand, oh, okay, I understand what this is about and why I'm doing it. But we sometimes we get stuck with thinking we have to have this massive nature connection or, or opportunity. And really, it can just be a tree outside your door, outside your apartment, or down the street in a local park. And I really want people to think about the benefits we're receiving and think about what you can do for forests. And then think about what we can all do to really ensure that forests are here for generations to come, but also understand that it is our responsibility to make sure that happens and that we are really connected to the natural world through forests and they're amazing. And so I would love more people to understand that so they can find that connection and potentially explore a green career. The other thing that I would say too is really our goal at PLT is also to really get people to understand the connection between Indigenous communities and forests and the long-standing history that they have had in managing the forest and getting benefits from the forest and that we have so much to learn from Indigenous knowledge. And we're really trying to integrate that knowledge and those connections within our PLT programming because we know that it is so important to bring those conversations into the classroom. You know, in some ways, forest management is just really what Indigenous communities have been doing for generations, and they are already thinking seven generations ahead, and we are just trying to think 100 years ahead when we do forestry. And so for me, a really important piece is is getting that conversation into the classroom and making those stronger connections with Indigenous communities so that they can also provide those conversations in their own communities and, and you know, classrooms can feel connected to understanding why there's such a long-standing history and connection with Indigenous communities and nature. And so that is a really important part of the work that we want to do. And the work that I challenge everyone to really understand is that long-standing history of Indigenous people and their local forests. Yeah, walking forward together, right? Yep. As you said at the outset, we do all have a responsibility, many responsibilities to forests. And through the course of this relatively short discussion, you've given us some of the tools to take that responsibility seriously and act on it. We've covered so much in a very short period of time, but we are cutting into time that could be spent 
under the shade of trees. So I shall let you go, but thank you so much for sharing all of your insights and of course being part of the project that we have just collaborated on. Thanks so much, Ian. A tree that has lived for over a hundred years has been through many challenges, none more so than in those early days as a tiny seed. For this robust tree perched above the wet ground, its seed miraculously avoided almost certain destruction before taking hold on a nursing log and growing into a magnificent yellow birch. Talking with Green Teachers is co-hosted by Ian Shanahan and me, Sofia Vargasnesi. Ian is the show's writer and editor. Logo design is by Devin Terian. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes to get instant access to each new episode. If you really like the show, give us a rating too. We can also be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us in this episode. We'll chat again soon. You know, it's yeah. one of, we always, as naturalists and nature interpreters, it's always, you know, use all your senses, use all your senses. And taste, yeah. of course, is the hard one. Yeah. But not with yellow birch. No, it's like the one where you're like, I know this is safe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's safe <laughs> all and the it's other like ones... very memorable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good one.